The following is brought to you in association with and from a proud partner of the Shining Wizards Network. Entertainment here. You're listening to Pure Rock Radio. Feed your addiction. Hey, this is Tyler from Yaucha, and you're listening to Radioactive Metal. Welcome to Radioactive Metal. This is Radioactive Metal, your source for news, views, tunes, and interviews. Here are your hosts, Snowy, Rock, Corrine, and Aaron. What's up, everyone? Welcome to a Bear to the Bone episode of Radioactive Metal. This is episode 659, and I'm Snowy White. And now, generally, you would hear another voice chiming in right away, that being of my usual co-host, Aaron. Now, unfortunately, this episode he's not able to join uh, to join us tonight, but he did give his blessing and say, "Hey, Snowy, I can't make it, but why don't you go and get yourself a kick-ass co-host?" And I said, "You know what, dude? I have someone just in mind for this very role. Uh, our longtime listeners will remember. I think it was last year." We had Ms. Lori Bravo, probably best known to our listeners as part of the mighty nuclear death on just having her on last year just because she's so awesome and we like her so much. And now for a whole new set of reasons, she's out doing the media junket and she said, Snowy, I'd be more than happy to come on tonight. So it's my great honor to introduce everyone tonight's special co-host. Hello, Lori. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. And how are you? Uh, with everything that's going on in the world, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably doing a lot better than most. I really can't complain. Absolutely. Me neither. Right on, right on. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. This is definitely... Absolutely going to be a uh it's been a great day so far as we speak it's it's uh record store day is just winding down and that's a pretty big deal here on radioactive metal so i had a great afternoon and i'm going to have a great night 
hanging out and chatting with you. Before we get into everything, though, if you don't mind, we have this really cool segment brought to you by the good by the good folks at True Cavalt Coffee. TrueCavaltCoffee.com. T-T-R-V-E-K-V-L-T Coffee.com. Are you a coffee drinker, Lori? Absolutely, I am. Excellent, excellent. Then I want to introduce you to True Cavalt Coffee. They have been a wicked sponsor of this program for quite a while now, and it's nice. a fantastic. Sorry, I said nice. That yeah, good. yeah. It's a fantastic cup of joe made for metalheads by metalheads <laughs> for That's the awesome. love of brutal metal yeah yeah so one of the ways we like to celebrate true cobalt coffee is with our mandatory metal segment but before we get into that true cobalt coffee just recently put out their special tribute to the goat brand which was uh, yeah yeah that sounds cool as shit (laughs) it was it was it was a special incantation the band their own blend of coffee and today as we speak from incantation john mcintee he missed record store day because he was getting married Oh, well, that's a reason to miss Record Store Day, I think. Don't you? It is. It is. I mean, it really, I, I think that's going to trump the Record Store Day this time. I think so. I think so, yes. Well, yes. congratulations to him. That's awesome. That is absolutely fantastic. And, of course, he is, a, he is like yourself, he is a radioactive metal alum. We'll have him on again soon enough. But we're going to focus our attention to the mandatory metal song the latest record from the band debauchery came across my desk available now nice yeah yeah i kind of figured some of these old school names yeah, from the yeah. past i haven't heard that are, in a long time that's cool, cool yeah man. they're all a lot of them are going to be uh cohorts of yours from quote-unquote back in the day yeah and, absolutely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and debauchery are still killing it mr thomas graff this special record is a three disc digipack not only with debauchery but his two other bands cool. bulgaroth and blood god we're talking yeah, death Balgaron. metal. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a digipack. I forgot about those. Yeah. those are 1990s. I love digipacks. Yeah, yeah, they're still around. That's cool. Well, I'm glad because I think those are cool, man. They are definitely, definitely. So we're gonna drop a track from oh, yeah. Monster Metal in our in you know. Oh, I almost said indie spotlight. No, in our <laughs> mandatory wow. metal segment. This is Skull Mountain. Oh, my God. 
Okay, my friend, we're uh, going to jump in. We're going to get to the meat of the bones here, shall <laughs> we say, with with this new record. It's going to be somewhat of a departure from Nuclear Death. What can you tell us about your new record, Bare Bones? Well, I mean, it's my second so- full-length solo album, and my third. it's my third album since Nuclear Death. Uh, since being a solo artist, but it's my first, my second full length. And like the other two, which are also, I married the devil and the, when the sun dies EP, it is a complete departure because that was the whole idea. Like nuclear death had run its course. As far as I was concerned, the way I was writing. And I knew that it was time to sing for one. And uh, because that's what I do. And I was like, and then also just showcase the fact that, um, that I can write, a good song that it's uh, not that nuclear death doesn't have good songs. We have great songs, but just differently mm-hmm. and much more autobiographically. That was the thing I was really trying to do. Harmony drinks me is autobiographical, but it's very steeped in metaphors because, uh, I was hoping Steve wouldn't catch on to what I was saying uh, during a lot of it because we were still living together. But he, of course, being a insightful person and a Libra and had been with me for 13 years he saw through all of the facades and could tell that I was basically saying goodbye to him too. Cause I broke up with him and dissolved the band at that same time. So, um, and left, but, uh, yeah. So when I was finishing that, um, the idea was to go to become more autobi. I've always w- wanted to write autobiographically. And when I do journaling, that's of course, that's what I do. So I just hadn't get, been given the plot. What wasn't able to get, find the platform to do it until I could get on my own and then see, since Steve and I had recorded together for so long in our own home studios, I knew how to do it. And I wanted to see what am I made of, you know, with bare bones, you're fast forwarding like eight years since my last recording and a lot happened in eight years and a lot of bad things happened in eight years, uh, terrible things. But, um, so there's a lot of that in there. Like I never thought it would take that long to make another record. Uh, and then, of course, also there's the fact that it took a year longer than I thought it was going to be anyway, just due to us moving and whatnot and the mm-hmm. things that were going on in my life at the time. But and then just like weird technical things that just were coming up every left and right. But it, I had to kind of like bare bones is just it's it's to me. I've said this before. and I'll say it again. To me, the best nuclear death album is the planet Sheffield. It's my crowning achievement. It's one of the best pieces of, of work I've ever written and, um, including the story. And so, and the artwork, just everything about it is exactly just what I've always wanted to do with nuclear death. And so I felt I needed to, at some point I wanted to surpass that as a writer. And I finally did it with this album. I was like, okay, this album is finally better or as good as whatever as the planet construction, uh, musicianship wise, songwriting wise, and just what I have to say, because it was just, I really, there was so much shit that went on that I just couldn't, I couldn't even process. It's weird. Cause a lot of the songs were finished in the studio. I, I made myself do that too, because I'm very lazy. I don't practice. I can't stand it. Cause I practiced so much when I first started playing guitar, so many hours, so that I could be as good as the boys or better that I honestly just, you know, I just don't hate it. I hate it. And whenever I play with boys, they always seem like they want to practice things over and over and over. And if I play a song too many times over, it doesn't become the song anymore. It actually loses all its power to me. 
So I tend to be unpracticed. I would rather be like, let's do a rehearsal before we go. I don't want to rehearse a whole thing six times over because it just loses all the soul to me. The soul just goes away. And then it's like, I'm just doing the motions and it just, I can't, I don't want to sing something six times in a row. And I used to do that a lot. They, you know, with, I mean, we didn't know that's what you do. You play it over and over and over. And, you know, but when I played with my, with Jessie, she's a jazz drummer and she's a session drummer. So she taught me, sometimes you just got to get in there and be on the fly. When she came to play with me, she didn't, there were no drum parts written when she just play whatever she felt. And I really like that. Now she's good enough to do that, but I'm just saying, I like the jazz idea of just, or just anybody, like any kind of player that's got, can you please sit in tonight? We lost our guitar player. That's how she is with drums. Mm, okay. And I thought she should be able to sit down Cause she's like, people should be able to sit down at yours and listen to you play and play with you. And I was like, I'd never been played with people like that. The guys I play with don't do that. They want to go home, learn the song, call me later, tell me that they're halfway through it. And I just went with that. But, uh, but with her, she's like, sits, comes over and we're playing the song. And then whatever we pick, we choose. If I like that, maybe a ride symbol there. I like that. And that's it. And then that's it. The song's done. And then you record it. So, with bare bones, I, I still have that same aesthetic. And the idea is just go in there. Now, some things were fully written. Pink Moon was one of the first songs I wrote uh, as a solo artist after years of not writing and uh, about panic disorder and, and what I suffer from with that. So I knew that like the back of my hand. Same with On the Pain, another one where it's very much older. So I, I know it. I can do it in my sleep. But other songs were finished. Suicide and Fentanyl. I went on some journey there. I have no idea. I have no idea how long it was. I didn't have any idea. I only had the first two verses written in my head in the car, and I never wrote them down. And then when I got in there, I did those. And then after I did those, I was just like, I just went off. I sat down, I stopped it, started writing lyrics, and then the rest of it, I it was just like, I don't know. I got visited by Jim Morrison that day. I got visited <laughs> by... Uh, like I'm trying to think even like um, I just got visited by people. It was like I just, it, 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 you know, it, it was just weird. It was like I could feel them in me and, and you know, like that wake up because I was thinking of the, the infamous, you know, live performances that the Doors would do where you'd be all, you know, wake up, you know, you, you know, you can't remember when it was. And all of a sudden I thought, yeah, wake up, you know, and just things like that because I could hear his voice in my head and. I just went on a journey and then I, I felt like I was speaking in tongues. It was a really weird, surreal day recording that song, but it was not written. Ashes was finished in the studio. Other things were, were finished. And then I went in there and did something different because what I originally did, I didn't want to do. So there was really weird, but the whole thing is it was all on me. And that was the thing that, that I, PJ Harvey famously recorded, uh, huh, her and, she did everything but the drums. Now she didn't master it. I, I don't think she recorded it, but my idea was to do that. I wanted to go in and record or do everything, every single bit of it I wanted to do. And the mastering was not supposed to be done by me. A friend of mine was going to do it, but he just couldn't do it. They were just, they just didn't, things didn't line up and Corona wasn't helping. So it didn't happen, but I'm glad because then that made me have to master it. And then, so it's mastered by me too. And I just thought I can do this. You know, it's like, I, I mean, I thought I'm going to do everything. And like I said, it's only my foot, my fingerprints are on that album. And I'm very, I'm very pleased with that because that was a huge undertaking that I honestly didn't realize how big, I also didn't realize how long it was going to be. 
I had no idea at all that it was an hour and a half until I sat down and looked at what I had recorded. And I said, whoa, fuck, it's a double album. I had no idea. I mean, that's just how, like, detached I was from what I was. It was just, I was just in, like, a stream of consciousness almost all the time. But it's an honest, the whole thing is I wanted to be as honest as I could with myself and people listening to it. And I just, you know, I wanted to go back to where I originally started, which is me sitting in my bedroom with my guitar playing and singing and with my acoustic guitar, teaching myself how to sing and play or not sing, but play along with singing and that kind of stuff. And I wanted to go strip that down. It was my mom's idea. She kept saying, sometime you need to make an album where it was back, you know, go all the way back. And so I finally made it. Right on, right on. Well, I have given the new record a spin. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Thank if, you. Um, if you're expecting like Bride of Insect Part Two, you're definitely not, not <laughs> going. You're not going to get it. Um, we have played Pink Moon on yes. the show just a couple episodes ago. Fantastic stuff. So I want to drop a track now. Something a little bit different from that how about let's go with the aforementioned i'm on the pain from bare bones from ms Lori bravo
So we're kind of bookending your career here. We just dropped a track from your latest record. How about we we rewind in this in your musical story here? Go back to the <laughs> debut record yeah. from Nuclear Death. That is the title yeah, yeah. track for Bride of Insect. <laughs> Absolutely oh, yes. fantastic stuff. And that's the record that I first discovered you guys with. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah, yeah, and if and I tell you, all if 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 the snowy from today were to say to the snowy that bought that album on that day, you know what? Someday you're going to be co-hosting your own radio show <laughs> with with Lori from Nuclear Death. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Exactly. All right. And same thing would be like, you're going to be co-hosting a, a radio show with somebody that, that's been listening to you. Forget I would be like, yeah, right. Yeah, please. Wake <laughs> me up. Come on. It's amazing. It's amazing how, how our paths have taking us here i do totally i do want to give you some advance warning that earlier today was record store day and in my journeys i bought the latest nuclear assault album, okay <laughs> <laughs> so if at some point tonight i refer to nuclear death as nuclear assault I, I hope you will understand. We're going to forgive him. We're forgiving him. It's going to be okay. Yeah. I've, he's, I've been warned, so I, I, I don't have to go into a cold turkey going, what? So. I'm not that petty. I'm, I'm too old for that shit. So. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> I know. Hear I'm you. too old for that shit, man. I hear you. It's all yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we're going to be having, you know, some talk about these awesome bands from yesteryear. But right now I want to kind of switch gears to talk about something a little more current. American death noise rockers Yauchcha just released their new record, The Lurch, courtesy of Relapse Records. When this record came across my desk, I gave it a spin, and this is a band, you know, I've kind of been following them throughout their existence, and I thought this would be a really good time to get the band on the horn and get the 411 all about the lurch. So I met up with drummer Tyler Coburn which is really cool because he is in another he's in a couple other really cool bands such as Thou and Mutilation Rights as well which Thou you, is just yeah right on right on see yeah, Thou is just yes i mean <laughs> i i love that no i'm just saying i i just have to say that's great i love how you know all of this stuff <laughs> well, just, I found out about them through this artist I love named Emma Ruth Rundle, who worked with them. So uh -huh. I was like, well, who's this? Because, you know, and then I, that's how I found out about them was through her. So that was cool. But yeah, no, they're they're just, woo, man. Mm -hmm. Well, this is fantastic. But this is going to be exciting, this, this, this other project. Mm, definitely, definitely. And Mr. Coburn is definitely going to be stoked that none other than Lori Bravo was helping introduce our chat I'm with excited. him. So to get us there, let's drop a track from a said record. Let's go with the first single called The Weight. This is our chat with Tyler Coburn from Yauchcha. Yes. 
first and foremost, I guess maybe what we might want to do, because there might be some of my listeners that might be just hearing of you right now for the first time, maybe give a little brief, a little bio, uh, who's it or what's it, you know, whatever you may think would be best for our listeners to get to know you. Okay. Um, well, yeah, Yaucha is a three-piece band from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we've been a band for about 10 years. Our demo came out in 2011, and uh, yeah, we've been sort of creating uh, somewhat undefinable metal, I guess, for for all that time, and um, we've only released a handful of records, but uh, we've We've been working hard on them, and uh, yeah, we get we get a lot of different genre uh, descriptors um, that are often shocking, <laughs> but yeah, called grindcore or sludge or sludgecore or whatever, what have you. Um, we sort of uh, lovingly describe it as thunderpunk. Um, yeah, what else? We've toured with uh, a lot of bands from Inner Arma to Revocation to Trap Them, Cult Leader, um, Big uh, Black Breath. Uh, yeah, all kinds of bands. They're staying busy. Yeah, we, we do stay busy. We've, we've done a lot of touring over the last five years or so, or maybe eight years or so. Right on, right on. Yeah, because like if, if someone's discovering you for the first time, you guys have actually been around for quite a, for quite a while. It's like, you know, like, yeah, we really have. Right. <laughs> hey, do you feel like... Kind of um, under the radar, you know? <laughs> no, I get that. I get that. No matter... No, no matter what you do when you're when you're underground, you're always getting discovered by new fans. For sure, yeah. for sure. You're we're discussing this because you are you are your latest release, The Lurch, is um your debut for relapse records. I imagine you're pretty excited for that. Yeah, very excited. I think that is like that's something I can cross off my bucket list and my uh you know, as a teenager, I think I would never have seen something like this happening. But here we are. I'm thrilled. Right, right. So when you mention as a teenager, then I obviously, I guess, you were a listener of a lot of the relapse artists. Oh, yeah, big time. I was massively into relapse. It was like one of those labels I felt like I could trust and like check out almost anything. And, and I liked, you know, at least... 60 or 70 percent of the stuff they were putting out or you know loved but yeah you know like the real early mastodon stuff and um dillinger escape plan and neurosis you know so many bands that are hugely inspirational to me and to the band came from relapse so yeah it feels good and uh i'm glad this is the first record on the label because i'm yeah, pretty pretty proud of the record, and I we worked very hard on it. So glad sure, to have it out sure. there in the world. 
with the moniker of the lurch is there kind of a story behind that well um we have a really hard time with album titles in general and this was something that we debated endlessly for this record but um yeah it, the title comes from the song the weight or there you know uh but it's i think it's kind of a reference to I don't write a whole lot of the lyrics lately. I used to write more, but um, the lurch sort of refers to, well, for one, uh, I think just kind of the state of life and uh, society in, you know, in America and worldwide and uh, sort of being trapped in between um, I don't know, a lack of progress, sort of just being in in the lurch. And then uh, also I think we sort of just sort of the uh, the huge length of time it took us to record and release another record sort of felt like we were trapped in our own lurch of just like, um, I don't know, writer's block and just, you know, one of us living in a different city and just sort of trying to make something happen against, you know, many inconveniences and odds and all that. It definitely makes for the creative process, so I imagine. That's so, so yeah. the end result, yeah. For sure, for sure. Um when you first discovered, okay, or was it announced that you're getting signed to Relapse, do you remember what you were doing? Because I imagine that's like one of the one of those lifetime moments you, you were saying. Well, I guess it was kind of like a long process when we were when we recorded the record. Um, there was no label attached to it, and we just were gonna we just decided to to do the record and and see what happened with it because we felt really strongly about it and. We went to Electrical Audio in Chicago, Steve Albini's studio, and um, flew out our own engineer from California and sort of just, you know, spent a lot of money and spent a lot of time and, and effort on it. So uh, once Relapse was involved, I mean, that was probably a month or a couple months after the record had been uh mostly mixed so um yeah i wish there had been like a moment where i realized that relapse was putting it out but it was more like a long series of emails and all that uh yeah don't don't have a really fun answer for that one unfortunately <laughs> no that's 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 it is what it is like that's you know it's like like i said it's definitely one of those life moments um, your moniker, the band name, and I'm sure you've answered this more than once, but there's what's the it's very unique. It definitely stands out. What's kind of the the rhyme and reason behind that? What what what's the definition of it? Um, I mean I guess it comes from like the predator lore from like the predator movies and that's the name of the species of the predator. Um and you know, just like with the album title, we we had such a hard time naming the band and uh, couldn't come up with anything good. And 
I mean, we are all big fans of the movie Predator, but we're by no means, you know, like predator nerds we if someone came up and tried to quiz us on something we'd probably fail the quiz but okay um i think we all just really liked the sound of the word itself a lot and uh i feel like the the word really fits the the band and the sound and all that just yaucha you know i i like that a lot but uh you know if i could go back maybe we would have spent a little more time on the name and and done something different so it wouldn't be so difficult to spell and pronounce and all that. But I think once people get it right, it it feels good to say. It feels good to say Yaucha. For sure, for sure. And I imagine you've had just over the years meeting fans, you know, at merch booths and all that. You must have heard like five or or six different, hundred different uh, pronunciations of it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's pretty entertaining, and, and we've also gotten some really insane spellings and things on, on flyers and stuff. Where it's just like, <laughs> you're making a flyer. All you got to do is just like copy and paste. And and we we got like there was one that was uh, Yautija. It was like Y O U T I J A H, and it was just like, where did you get that? That is such a mouthful. Um. But yeah, we've definitely had to. A lot of fans will come up and be like, "Oh, you're in Yowacha," <laughs> you know. And, and I'm like, "Well, I guess so. It's called Yowcha, but you know, however you want to say, it, it's fine." <laughs> right on. Well, to be honest, like I've been reading the name obviously for for, for quite a while and all that. I've never actually heard someone say it before until you cut the promo for the beginning of this episode. So I want to thank you for that, for setting my personal record straight. (laughs) Oh, you're quite welcome. Happy to do that. (laughs) Right on, right on. You mentioned that you you personally are, you're um, hailing from uh, Nashville right now. Like, are you born, born and raised? Yeah, born and raised. And then our guitar player, was born in Hendersonville, which is like less than an hour, you know, 30 minutes away from Nashville. So we're both uh, true Tennessee boys. And then uh, our bass player was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, we got together when he was in college up here. So, and he lived here for, I think, six years or, or so, and then moved back to Birmingham a few years ago probably five years ago or more, so we've been doing the semi-long-distance thing for a while. Well, with the with, with the interwebs and Skype and email and all that, there is no distance for band members anymore, it seems, especially this last yeah. year or so. Yeah, it's a lot easier than it used to be, for sure. You know, no. we're lucky. What is the aggressive music scene in Nashville like, you know, this day and age and he's like is it is it all that like maybe the yanks up here in the north and the in the canadians we kind of see like the south as being very conservative is what what is it like for aggressive music down there well um the scene is definitely small uh you know there's not that many really great aggressive bands in nashville at the moment but 
there's always there's always some people you know there's always a a scene there's always you know some people around really working hard to maintain um you know like a home for for that kind of thing and and there really are some great bands down here um Shivy, our guitar player, plays in another band called Third Face. He plays drums in that band. And that band's been getting some sort of national recognition in the last six months or so. And But as far as Nashville goes, I mean, it's it's less conservative than the rest of Tennessee, for sure. But there's still a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of... Um, really ignorant, you know, like Southern pride kind of stuff going on. And um, so, but I feel like that's what gives the Nashville, like, punk and metal scene sort of, you know, it's like the inspiration is sort of the rebellion against that and the um, sort of the attempt at progressing towards um, you know, a more open-minded sort of approach and uh, life view. But, uh, yeah, the scene, I would not say is thriving, but it, it was really picking up before COVID started. Um, hopefully, once things open up again, it'll, you know, it'll get back to thriving and grow even further. Yeah, okay, well, here, let's kind of go out kind of with that idea. When the world does open up and bands are getting more active, do you have a game plan for the next 365 days? Um, I guess we want to tour about as much as possible and as much as, um, you know, anyone wants to have us out there. Um, but, we, you know, we've got a few things that we're working on for the fall even, which is exciting you know it's hard to imagine going back on the road that soon but um yeah we i mean we have a show in atlanta confirmed for august 6th with withered and that one seems very soon to me but hopefully it'll be all right you know um next year we hope to hit europe a couple times or you know and we really want to do more international touring um and yeah, definitely. We definitely intend on touring a lot, but for now, we're we're already working on writing some new stuff, and you know, we've got like three new songs, pretty close to finish. And uh, yeah, we're trying to stay productive as we can. Right on, right on. That's that's important. That's important. And finally, I do have to mention because I do a uh, pro wrestling podcast as well. When you mention cities like Hendersonville and Montgomery and all that, I kind of kind of know, you know, where what these where they are and all that, and when what these cities are. Being a pro wrestling fan and being old enough to remember the territory days of Jerry the King Lawler and Tommy Rich and guys like that, does that mean anything to you? Oh wow! Okay. Um... Not personally, really. I think I wonder if Shibby or Kaon. I think Kaon would be more. He, he's he was definitely more into the pro wrestling world and would have a little more insight into that. But yeah, like I, I had no idea that that Tennessee had a 
big wrestling history because I'm kind of out of touch with that. Well, well hey, it's, that's kind of worth like, a try. <laughs> yeah, I kind of threw that out at the last second. But thank you for your time. Here, we'll put you on the spot one one more time to get us on out of here. Maybe give a shout out to someone, anyone. Just say hi. Okay. Um, shout out to Cole Crick in uh, Baltimore for always being there for us and taking great care of us over the years. Everyone knows a lot of things can change in the span of 10 years. But when it comes to professional wrestling podcasting, one thing is still guaranteed. The Shining Wizards is the only place to get all the latest wrestling news, interviews with the greatest guests, and of course, tons of laughs in discussing the world of wrestling. The show is still available on Monday nights at 7 p.m. East on RantDMRadio.com and Rant Entertainment Media on the TuneIn app. And it's still available on all podcasting platforms. To check us out, head over to ShiningWizards.com, where it's still wrestling talk and talk about wrestling. There are only three good things you need in life. Sex, beer, and pure rock radio.
that was tonight's creature feature mr tyler corbin's other project the mighty mutilation rights from their 2018 record a chasm that was axiom destroyer and actually i'm probably more familiar with mutilation rights than i am yautja which is actually kind of surprising considering the um like the following that Yauchcha is definitely going to be getting with their new record mm -hmm. the lurch available now on relapse records run run don't walk yeah. to your local record shop yeah get get over there now <laughs> up there and pick that stuff up thank you everyone involved in setting that up well i'm thinking we're gonna switch gears here a little bit and talk some more about about you and about new nuclear death and all of that good stuff i'm kind of would like you to maybe share a little story here i'm going to kind of kind of put you on the spot here if you don't mind our listeners our regular listeners obviously know um the band autopsy okay we've had one chris reifert on the show many years ago now and whenever a new record comes out we always play them but you and mr reifert actually go back Oh, yes. A little bit ways here. And I already kind of know the story here. And I'm kind of hoping, if you don't mind, if you're not sending your hands through the internet ready to choke me for this if you don't <laughs> mind if you don't mind sharing your chris reifert story with our no, listeners no no i i don't i just uh <laughs> just for a disclaimer for for anyone i love chris and uh if he ever hears this um yeah this is this is for you this is this is a good thing it's not i'm not trying to be cute or cool or neato but mm -hmm. it is part of my history so, you know, and it's a big part of the history, which is why I'll, I'll it, it's an interesting, but the thing is, is that, um, I was living with Phil and this would have been me, Phil, Joel, we had fired Joel or kicked him out. I'm just going to be real. We kicked him out. That's what we say back when we say, we don't say fired. Mm -hmm. I forgot. That's, that's too, too professional. We fucking kicked his ass out. Hit the so pavement. then we got it. We got Steve Cowan and we were, you know whatever we had we'd begun uh we'd begun working with him or whatever and um he was learning the songs and uh so anyway um i was living with phil and uh we didn't get along we didn't get along most of the time um you know for for many many years and this is like let's see this would be um i'm thinking two years wait okay let's see i was with phil for six years so this would be like year four and a half going into five right before so about like five maybe year five of me and phil and nuclear death and together because we basically formed and got together at the same time mm -hmm. so okay so anyway um we weren't getting along and um it's you know i'm he's my first boyfriend i'm young i have no idea how to do anything or what to do or whatever and you know steve was their young gun who's younger than phil and i and you know he was he had these new ideas. He was really interesting. He came from a jazz background uh, and a rock background, but he, he could play trumpet. He could play drums. He could play guitar. He could play almost anything he put in his hands. So 
he was interesting to me because he was trying not trying but he he had a he was giving me a, a gateway to to try to move nuclear death into a more interesting and larger realm than than the box that i felt that we were going to end up in if we didn't do something different after carry on for work so we were in the midst of writing carry on and in the meantime chris river and i had started talking on the phone um it first started with us writing because we both were big fans of each other's work and then we started talking on the phone and back then that's how you do everything there's no internet so we're talking mm-hmm. on the phone and we talked on the phone it got to the point where he and I would be on the phone Phil was like famous for falling asleep he was always one of these Capricorns that sleeps like at 11 o'clock he's already passing out and I don't mean oh. because we're stoned or drunk he just is a Capricorn <laughs> and that seems to be a Capricorn trait is to just be the kind of person that's really tired that gets tired and then they just they don't care in other words I'm sleeping here I don't care so he would go to bed and I'd be like oh my god so Steve would stay up with me and it would be cool but then if he went home because he didn't live with us then i'd be like what am i going to do so then what well, besides you know whatever and then chris reifer was a night owl too so we would call each other now he lives in california mm-hmm. so we would be on the phone all night long and on the phone we fell in love it was that simple we just decided we really liked each other and we you know he understood me he's a pisces so he's very sensitive and He's very insightful. He's very he's very he's a visionary. He's got the psychic ability about him and he was of course he's very talented. He's also a singer as well and a musician like I am, so he understands that part of it being the singer because you have that extra job if you are playing an instrument as well, which of course he's playing drums of all things, so that's crazy crazy. But I mean, it just was like that. So we started talking to each other as much as we possibly could. And I knew that you know, it it would be different. It would be maybe you would be considered cheating or something if it was like nefarious, but it wasn't. We were just getting, we were clicking and he understood me. And then one night I came out, like you say, when you come out, I came out of the closet and told him about what was going on with Phil and I. And because I, I, nobody knew, I told nobody, not even a friend, not my parents, no one knew what was up. Not even Joel knew. So I didn't, he was all like, whoa, you know, and so then I had some a sounding board. So then that became made us even closer. So anyway, eventually we we would just talk and talk and talk. And then we started writing each other letters. And we used to literally write each other a letter a day. Wow. And then we would write it and we'd put our blood on it and you know, all that stuff, and then we'd send <laughs> it back and and then I would get the letters at my work. I worked at Deluxe Carpet Cleaning and my boss loved me. I was I was their their manager, of course. Uh, I would be the one that did all these sales, the turnovers where you go and you sell the product. And so um, I was really good at that. I'm good at sales. So um, my manager let me get the mail there so that nobody, Phil wouldn't know I'm getting mail there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we would send a letter. Yeah, I know. We'd send letters. and But I just couldn't, you know. And in the meantime, now I got Steve over there and he and I were becoming really close creatively speaking. So now he lives there physically. So there's that. And then he's also vegetarian. And I'd always wanted to be vegetarian, but I really just wasn't being supported. Because, like, you know, nobody really understood it. And Steve came in and said, you don't have to eat meat. You don't have to do it. And that also helped me because then I was able to take on the diet that now I've been on nutritionally for, whatever, 34 years. So anyway, so then fast forward, we're talking, and we uh, – I'm trying to think. He did Retribution for the Dead. Did they do that before or after Carry On? Anyway, Retribution for the Dead was like his love album to me. 
by the way. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's not about me. But right. We were, we were really on when he was writing that. And it was really fucking cool. We, I got the advanced test cop, you know, test pressing copy and all this. And then I also was making a comic book at the time that it was just like, you know, black and white. But I used them in it. They were in it. And, you know, I drew them and all this stuff. It was really cool. I just was so in love with their band, his band and him. And then I asked if he could come out. And the idea was if he comes out and sings on the album, we can see each other. That was right. the idea. We can u- we can use the Chris Reifert's going to come sing on our album as the cover for him coming to see me. And then we'll see it how it goes. You know, right. and I don't know what I was thinking that was going to happen. I lived at Phil's house with his parents and his two brothers. I don't know where I thought this was going to be able to go. It's not like I'm going to go off and fuck the dude or something. So it's like. I don't know, but I didn't know what I was doing. And then mm-hmm. in the meantime, it was whatever. So he come, he makes gets a plane ticket. He gets ready to come out. We're all excited. First thing that happens, the very day before, Steve always stayed up late with me. He had to go home finally. And it was taking forever to go home. And I was, I mean, it was weird. I was just like, you know, are you going to leave? Because I was getting tired. We had been stoned all night. I was like, you know, I want to go to sleep. I had to work in the morning. And uh, so did he, because he worked the same place. We both worked at Deluxe Carpet Cleaning. So, um, he, and then Steve's like, I love you. And I want to know that you know, I'll dedicate my life to you. I'm just telling you right now. And I was like, oh, oh, oh shit. <laughs> like, I was like, you do? And it was weird because I just saw like fireworks, which people say you didn't see this stuff, but I never believe that shit. But you do. If it's the right person, maybe you do. Because I did. It's like all of a sudden something happened, exploded in my head. I thought, oh, and we didn't touch nothing. It was just... and then he had to go then he runs home like the regular Libra goodbye (laughs) so he goes and I'm like then I'm stuck with Chris Reifert on his way out so I thought okay and then Phil doesn't know any of this shit and uh, whatever so he was suspecting there was something going on with me talking on the phone but it's talking on the phone who cares so we go get Chris he comes that's fine that day I get the flu and I mean I got it bad now I worked for the newspaper so I would be throwing the paper and you do this in the middle of the night. And when he came out, it was freezing cold. And Phil made me go anyway, of course. So I'm like sick as hell, throwing paper out the side of our fucking van. And, you know, Joe, or, uh, Phil, uh, Chris was like, look, I'll, I'll go with you because anybody can help throw the paper. But he's like, no, Lori needs to go. And so we, he did go with us. But the whole idea was I was sick as hell. So that was weird because I felt like it was the hand of fate. So I was so sick when I did carry, and I've, I've told you that before, just the vocals, just every, it was just absolutely so sick that Chris was holding me up when we were doing our vocals together for the songs Vampirism and Cathedral Sleep. And in the meantime, I've got this Steve thing in my head, and I kept thinking, whatever, and then Chris had told me that, that he, we, we were on the phone, he was talking about coming out, he had just got his plane ticket, he said, I had this really weird dream, Lori, and I said, what do you mean? He's like, I had this dream where we were like at maybe a practice space of yours or something. And like you weren't, you kind of were like weren't talking to me. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. I love you. Of course I'm going to talk. What are you talking about? It's like, we'll figure it out. You know, when you get here, we'll figure it out. We're going to tell Phil. This is my whole idea. I'm thinking this. Yeah, well, anyway, he does come out. We do the thing. We do go to a practice space the first night and we had a party. Even though I was sick, we still went there. And that's we had our spirit. beer and it's hot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And he put his leather jacket on me, and Phil had a fit. It was like he, you know, he wouldn't do anything because Phil doesn't do that. He does everything secretly and quietly and underhandedly. So he was just like, "What makes you think you can wear his jacket?" And I was like, "He just gave it to me to wear. What's the big deal?" Blah. 
But then the more I kept looking over at Steve and Steve kept looking at me and I kind of wasn't talking to Chris. And it was like he predicted this. It wasn't that I didn't mean to. It's just that I kind of felt weird suddenly. I didn't want to wear his jacket. I wanted to wear Steve's. Mm. Like that was, and that's just, I felt like I wanted to wear Steve's flannel. That's where I want to be. I want to be over there with him. That's what I want. And I thought this is a clusterfuck of anything. And of course, Phil has no idea I'm about ready to leave him anyway. So I, and, and I thought I didn't think he deserved to know. Really, I mean, he would know, but I just thought, yeah, whatever. So we did do the, he did the songs. And again, I was sick the whole time. And so when we did try to get together to just see if it would work, I just felt nothing. Like I felt really bad. I thought, oh my God, it's only over the phone. And I didn't know that because I, how would I know? It's, I've never had an experience. So I wouldn't know that you can get close. It's like people on the internet now. You fall in love on the internet. It's, it's like catfish. You fall in love, you think you know the person, then you meet him and you don't. Now in this mm-hmm. case, he was him and he's a great person. He's fantastic, but there just wasn't a spark. But yet Steve was sparking the crap. I mean, Steve gave me something that I never had with Phil either because Phil was my first boyfriend and it just, he was my first boyfriend. It wasn't like there was a spark. And I mean, we're like, what? Like 18, 19, whatever. It was like, whatever. But Steve was like a real like adult. I mean, he was younger than me, but the adult feeling of like, this is where I think I, I need, I need to be with this person. I just knew it. And I just knew it. And I thought, he's like, you're, you know, I'm John, you're Yoko, you know? And I said, yeah okay you know he's like you're my artist you know and I was like all right this is how to happen so anyway Chris went home and was none the wiser and uh, maybe had an inkling and then Steve or uh, and then you know we were doing the record and trying to finish it up and then Steve's like he gave me the ultimatum literally he's like you want to come over to my house tonight or what because you know you're leaving Phil no matter what and I don't do you want me to help you move what do you want me to do and I said, I still have to talk to him. I said, and find out if does he want to stay in the band with me or what does he want to do? Because, uh, you know, it wasn't that easy, but I'm just saying. So in the meantime, Chris Reifert had bought me a plane ticket to come live with them. Oh. And so I sat on a t- I sat on Steve's couch at 530 in the morning and I had the plane ticket in my hand. And he's like, it's up to you. You know, he's like, I love you. I'm going to dedicate my life to you. Um, he's like, but that he's like, I can't make you love me if you don't love me. And I was like. I, I said, I, I'm going to have to tell Chris I'm not coming. And I moved in with Steve that week. Wow. And we stayed together for 13 years. <clears throat> wow. And, oh, and now Chris got mad, but you know, he's awesome. He he was, okay, he was upset. And then he was sort of angry because they do get pissy, Pisces do. But he deserved, I deserved it. And he never was mean. He never did that vicious thing where he didn't, like, I, he really is a good person. He, he never made me feel like I was bad. For what happened because he knew I, I had no it wasn't like there was nothing sinister about how it came, went down I just in the meantime something else happened and he kept in contact with me for a long time even after I got me and Steve broke up he would call me you know sometimes and see how I was so he kept in touch with me for quite a while. Then I think he may have got married or something. And then that kind of went by the wayside. And that makes sense because mm-hmm. you got your wife now and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it was like that. He, he checked up on me, you know, make sure. Because he also knew when I would be, be, he knew when I was a drug <clears throat> addict. Um, I think at one point he reached out and I had told him that I was a heroin addict. 
or I become a heroin addict or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so he knew. Like in other words, like I would tell, I was able to tell him whatever. Like I, he'd check up, and I'd be telling him, finally, I'm off drugs, whatever, you know, or what am I on, or what am I doing, or am I doing any music, or why am I not, or am I going to be, or whatever. And um, so he kept tabs on me, but he never, he never let me uh, feel. He never did that thing where that bitch, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's almost, I think he kind of just knew because he knew too much about what was going on in my personal life to know that it wouldn't, there's why add to it? Like I'm already mm. traumatized. So do we need to be the other person, especially since he had, was trying to save me from my supposed tormentor. It was like, then why would you become the tormentor? So it's like, he never did that. And I always thought that was really cool because he had every right. I mean, I really did. It wasn't that I let him on, but let's face it, it's like really sad. You know, you send somebody a plane ticket and then right. they tell you they're not going to go after all. But yeah, I could have ended up playing with him. I mean, he was going to play drums for me and, and we were going to do something. And then uh, probably keep nuclear, nuclear death going was the idea. But then like, you know, then Steve was there and that was it. And then we obviously we needed to make the records we made, Steve and I together. So, you know. It, I definitely made the right choice. I know I did. Like, Excellent. And he agreed too. Like he was again. But like I said, it was just... It was like the only time I had like two people, I wouldn't say fighting over me because they really didn't know that mm-hmm. they were, except that Steve did know that that Chris liked me and what was going on with it. So he was kind of trying to entice me that, hey, you know, I'm hello, I'm over here right. and whatever. But um, yeah, it just happened. And it was funny because that's when I learned that drummers are my favorite. Like I, I have a thing for drummers and I learned that from that too. That I really, it's something, I guess it's because I don't play drums at all. And uh, I mean, I can kind of to help you if you're in the studio and you need to, do a sound check, but I can't really play drums, so I, I really in awe of drummers. So that's another thing it taught me is I'm, I'm that person that has a thing for the drummer. Well, every, every drummer listening to this right now is hmm. Well, good because I've been <laughs> single for 21 years, and even my favorite dear friend Jesse is a drummer. So there you go. I mean, you know, I, I that's the person I always want with me, like because I I can play bass, I can play guitar, I can play keyboards, I can sing, I can you know, play the basic things I need to play, but drums, now I can make beats, but I can't play drums. So if I can't play drums, then that's excites me to meet drummers because then they can. So, <laughs> you know, but yeah, so that was, that was what it was. It's just, I broke his heart and, uh, but he'd never, he didn't, he didn't let me live it down or anything like that. I have to say. And that's, I think that's what made him such a stand up. He really is a good person. That's, I think that was mm-hmm. the thing that was nice to know is that, He's, you know, Chris Reifert of Ajazi, but he's a really good person, natured person. And uh, he has to put up with any shit and he'll kick your ass, but he's not that person that was going to be like, you know, get get all up and he I think he just kind of knew I think he being that's having that psychic ability. He had already pre he pre saw it when he had that dream that something was off and it was exactly what it's really literally happened. It was like I didn't even think about it when it was happening. I was sick and we're at the practice room getting high and drinking beer and i wasn't thinking about that but it's exactly what happened it's just like i just wanted to keep talking to steve (laughs) kept sitting over by him trying to avoid phil but not make it too obvious right and uh you know and uh but then phil's not stupid either so of course he's wondering what the hell is going on with me you know am i you know because he always didn't like the fact that i was the only girl because everybody pays attention to me and they're all guys i mean let's face it, it we rarely ran into women during that scene so oh geez i remember yeah basically going to be dudes talking to me is what i'm saying right so there was always that problem anyway of them talking to me and 
him getting like, well, that guy didn't need to be that close to you. And I'd be thinking, what? Yeah, I wouldn't even be noticing this shit. That was the thing about it. I never, I'm not a flirt or anything by nature. And I don't pick up on things like that. So I never realized that anybody was doing anything. I was treating him like I'm a guy. So whatever. Right. It was just, I wasn't worried about my physique or thinking about that. Like he would be worried about it. I was like talking to whoever was, you know, asking me whatever they were doing when we were on tour or at a show or whatever, but it never occurred to me that they were hitting on me or any of that shit. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, enough. it was so beyond it. me to think that way, you know, like what people are, what, you know, or it's like, yeah. he's like, you're licking your lips and blah, 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 blah. I said, I always do that when I talk, cause I talk too fast and I'm thinking I was licking my lips and you think that what? What? Oh Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. That kind of stuff. It was just, you know, I wouldn't even, I do do that though. I've never been able to break that habit. So, oh well, Wow. That's what Carmax is for. So, you know, you yeah, go. it's it's something I've always done. So, you know, <laughs> to not to be called out about it would be weird. So I'd be thinking, I'm just talking to this dude because he, he's at the show and wanted to ask me questions. That's it. Right, right, right. You That's know, It's part of the job. It totally is. And he still doesn't like talking to people. That was the whole thing. He didn't want to talk to people. So I, you know, and Joel would talk to people. So the two Tauruses would go talk and he would go off and be the guy in the corner. And that's fine. That's how we always ran our band, though. He didn't. I mean, he. If somebody talked to him, he, it's not that he wouldn't. It's just he was quieter, so mm-hmm. he just didn't. So it was like leave it to them to 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 not shut up, and that was easy enough. You got two other people from the band that won't shut up. So perfect. <laughs> there you go. Someone's got to yeah. do the interviews. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. just you know people saying hello or like bands or something. You know, and it just he would want to again be kind of like being off in the corner, and so then they they talk to us because we're more. Joel and I were more like uh, uh, personable. We were just like out there, like blah, 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 you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And Phil always was sort of awkward, more like didn't want to deal with it, and would want to be the guy that just you know writes the guitar parts and hides in the you know and writes the creepy shit. And that makes sense too. I mean, that worked for the way it was. We kind of stuck with that aesthetic. It was almost like a thing. Like he's the mad, the mad scientist, you know, in the in the dark over there behind mm-hmm. the curtain. Everyone so has their role, yeah, yeah. When exactly, you, exactly. You mentioned um, you were communicating with the letters with Mr. Reifert while yeah. you were at the uh, at the uh, the cleaning shop. Yeah, I worked for Del- for uh, carpet cleaners for years uh, as a phone salesperson. I was really, really good at it, and I'd always end up being some the manager <laughs> wherever I worked within the right. month. I'd be surpassing everyone, end up running the room, and. My boss just, my boss knew what was going on. He was like, I just said, is it cool if I have him send them to this address? Because I can't have them sent to my house. And he said, sure, okay. And so, yeah. And so then he would go, oh, you got another letter. Like Uh, every day I get letters. But I would also send out letters from there. Oh, okay. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Like at one point we started talking there from there because there there used to be this way that you could trick the phone company and use long distance but not pay for it. So I used to do that there at like if the way that the, the carpet cleaning shift would go is I would work 10 to 2 and then you'd have a two hour break of lunch or whatever the fuck you want to do, get stoned, do whatever. And then you would work four to eight or five to nine. And that's what I did. I did the whole thing like that. So I had that two hour break and I would call Chris. And I think I think it was like right when he would be off work too. So anyway, somehow we would always be able to communicate, and we did that for a couple of months. And oh man, one day that thing didn't work, and then the phone company found out, and suddenly they charged my boss. I think it was like a thousand dollars. Holy shit! 
It was a lot. And my mm. boss was so awesome. He didn't fucking, I said, I said, uh, because see, Phil used to take my paychecks. So he would know. And I mm. said, he's going to, if he takes my paychecks, he's going to know. And uh, yeah, he used to give me like an allowance. It's just really weird. But anyway, right. so he, uh, he'd take my paychecks and I, I thought he's going to know. So my boss had me work it off under the table. And uh, it, it, he didn't have me do the thousand because eventually that place folded and he didn't care anyway because that's how those carpet cleaning companies are. They're kind of like that anyway. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they, they change their name and then you go and work for them. I worked for Deluxe. I worked for Freedom. I worked for Diamond and Green Mountain and all there. It's the same company. Uh -huh. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah. But but anyway, that was the other thing that happened. I'll never forget that because I thought, oh, my God, he's going to know. If you take money out, he's going to find out <laughs> right. why, where the money why is from is and that? why is it yeah. being taken out. And, you know, he, 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 he liked to be my financial dude and whatever. Uh, it's not that I spent money. It's more like he liked to take money and then he'd go to bookstores and spend it, spend my money on bookstores so he didn't have to spend his own. But it was one of those weird things, you know, just things that happen with couples that you don't know what, that it's not supposed to happen because you've never had been in a situation where you don't know. Mm -hmm. And he'd do silly things like that. So yeah, it was just, I just didn't want him to know. I thought, Oh my God. But yeah, it was, it was just by that time it was, uh, it was just already, I was moving out somehow. I just didn't know. I didn't know it was going to be with Chris. Right. I, I was planning on moving to California. I had it all worked out in my head. I actually had talked to my parents about it. Finally, I let them know what had been going on and what I wanted to do. They absolutely agreed that I need to get out. But then I didn't get out, Steve. Yeah, and I just moved basically up the street <laughs> to Union Hills where we just moved from. Where, where we moved is where Steve and I, that in the same area as where Steve and I lived with his folks. And then I moved in with him and his folks, and then we moved into his uh, a house in the back of his property that his brother had built and moved out of years ago. We call it the back house. We used to practice there, nuclear death. And then Steve and I actually made it a house, and then we, we made it a home, and that's where we lived and did, recorded all that shit. Um, right on, right on. I, br I bring that up because our first communication way back then when I was doing a fanzine and I sent you a letter and did an interview that way. It was supposed to be in an issue that never did make it out. Yeah. We were having our first communication the same way you were having it with Mr. Reifert. So that gave me a little chuckle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, I like writing letters. I like writing, first mm -hmm. of all, like actually writing down. I When I journal, I still journal by writing it down in a journal. I like the way my writing looks. I like the way it feels to write. So I like writing. And it's just, yeah, it's it's fun thing to do. I wish I could do it more often, actually, with people. But, you know, I know a lot of people don't like to write as much now. But, you know, it's just... Yeah, it was just a, it was a weird thing, and it just but it did shape my life. Like I said, if it weren't for those circumstances, first of all, he wouldn't have appeared on our record, and that that was really cool anyway to have mm -hmm. him sing and for he and I to sing because we we really did feel that we were going to be the powerhouses. Like we at that time were going to be the new death metal couple. That's we thought we were going to take over the world. You know, Chris and I. I mean. And then when that didn't happen, not that it would have happened, whatever, but I'm just saying then when I, then when I ended up with Steve, we went a different route and, um, you know, he, unfortunately, you know, again, these boys, I mean, Steve talked me, he, he decided he didn't think anybody cared about us anymore as far as like, watching us play live. So he talked me into staying a duo and being, he's like, let's just be recording artists. And if the internet had been happening, in a in a normal way that would have been great but mm -hmm. it wasn't 
and I, you know, unfortunately I got talked into it because we should have continued performing and, um, but we, you know, we could have either got a bass player or just played as a duo. Either way, if that's what we should have done. And I kept saying, no, I think we can because, you know, we can book shows. But it was really hard. There was no communication. I mean, we really didn't have anybody liking us. It wasn't like we had record companies or even bands messaging us or writing us, I should say, and saying that they would be willing to have us come out and play. So I kind of believed him because it's just a little bit too early until the internet would make it where I realized all these people still love me. Because it wasn't until Ted Tringo put in those damn, that damn box set out that I was like, wait, people buy this? Are you kidding me? People still like this shit? Mm-hmm. And they like me or my band that nobody liked? Really? And I thought, you're making thousands of dollars? How? You know? And then he sent me all that product, and I just hated it. It sat in my fucking house for, for I don't know how long. I just was like, I don't want anything to do with this at all. I don't want anything to do with nuclear death. I kept trying to take myself away. I wanted people to hear me as a solo artist and know that that I'm a singer and I can write really great songs and it doesn't always have to be death metal and just me growling. It was really upsetting and I kept going, God, I'm so tired of being equated. But after a while and after getting clean, I just suddenly, I just, I don't know, I had an epiphany and suddenly it was like, it was like, you know what? I'm just going to own this because... I saw more and more how many people respected me. I just had no idea. I'm all about respect. That's mm-hmm. something I've always wanted in my life. And so seeing the love after the MySpace generation, because I have a MySpace. I think I still have one, actually. And then the Facebook thing came on. I started noticing more and more, like, people, fans, like, oh, my God. And I kept, it's the story of nuclear death. And I kept thinking, Really? So then I started believing it. It wasn't that I didn't believe Ted Tringo. It's just it just I hadn't seen it. And then Brian, oh, poor Brian Patterson. Oh, my God. But he was instrumental. You know, he, he just was like, you are you people love you. They love your music. You know, don't discount it because, you know, you can still be a solo artist, but still own who you are and not be taken away from your solo career because you're still you. Mm-hmm. And. He's right, which is why I'm doing, as you know, this now with Moribund Records. It's like, you know, I would never have even thought to do this, but why not? I mean, people have been wanting to hear this shit on iTunes for years, and I've never been able to do it. I've never had the capital or the time or even just want to make the effort because I really want to do the music I'm doing now. And when he flew in there to right after we moved and said he was ready to do this and throw us on Spotify and all that shit, I said, oh, hell yeah. Now, finally. Right on, Fine. right on. Yeah, I'm really excited about these more Bond reissues. Well, they're going to have a lot of cool things because when we moved, I had to go through all of my shit to get rid of... I mean, my mom and I moved with almost nothing on purpose, but I will say I had a lot of boxes of nuclear dust shut that I didn't even know I had, and it's weird, too, because, see, I thought all these years Phil had kept a lot of stuff. and Now, he did keep a lot of the early cassettes we got from people, demos, whatnot. Yes, he did, but... What I thought he kept, I have. I wow. even have our lyric books. I have the books that Phil wrote actual songs in. The original lyrics of like all of Carry On, Bride of Insect, my reworkings of the song, um, The Third Antichrist That Was Nuclear Death. Uh, I have the original cover of what I thought would be a nuclear death album from high school before I ever even knew Phil. Um, there's going to be a lot of little extras that are coming with these records that nobody's ever seen. 
Uh, and that's really neat because I found all this stuff. I was like, oh my God, I have it. I have all these zines. I thought Phil had those. No, I have them. They're all these zines that we were in. I thought, oh, I ended up with this stuff. I had no idea because I hadn't opened those boxes since I moved from Phil's. So they're like boxes from my old Marantz stereo I had when I was 16. I've never opened them. And I was like, I thought, oh my God. So it was this, this plethora of rare. And then also Steve and I, I found practices of, I didn't even know we practiced Planet Kashuk. So of course we'd have to learn the song. Mm -hmm. And I thought, now let's see, you know, those were both recorded, that and Harmony were recorded professionally. I mean, with a, with a, in a studio, uh, not in ours, but they were pre-recorded in our home studio on our eight track Tascam. And have you ever heard of those things called the Lessus? They were like, you put a VHS tape and you record on those. That's what they're called. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. They didn't, they're kind of like the eight track. They didn't really go very far, but they, we had an Alesis or an Alesis, however you say it, and it, you use a VHS tape. That's how you record. And I don't know why we, I don't know. There's, you can have several tracks. Anyway, we ended up with the Tascam A track. That's what we recorded Planet Shexiel with to practice the songs and get them down and decide what we want to do with them. And then Harmony as well, as, amongst other things. And see, that's the thing. Steve and I recorded a lot of songs songs that were never made it also songs that have nothing to do with nuclear death that i was writing because even then i was already writing things that would end up possibly becoming songs that are on bare bones pieces of songs on bare bones that i ripped off from myself from that era <laughs> that i happened to find and go wait that's cool but i'm gonna steal that so i stole a riff here or whatever and it's just weird, but I'm just saying, yeah, I found all this rare shit. I thought, oh, man, these are the practices from our bedroom studio because we had a studio in our bedroom. His, his father was a builder, so our second house, we actually built it on their property, and I got to learn how to build a house, and I got to fix, pick everything out, pick the colors, stain the wood, do whatever we want to do in our little bitty house, and we built our studio into our bedroom. So there was bedroom studio, like I have now, actually. And it was great, and it was like, you know, we practiced there, and... We had, he was on a bunch of acres in Arizona where nothing can hear, you can play all night if you want, and whatever. So yeah, all of that, when I wrote Harmony, I wrote most of that on the couch uh, by myself. Uh, there was a, there's a, a, a public service broadcast center called PBS Channel 8 that does all kinds of eclectic things and always has, and they have children's shows that I grew up with. But anyway, they had a, a special it was when the uh, Beatles, uh, when they found the, the John Lennon song, Free as a Bird, and they, re they released it, and the Beatles played on it to fluff it up, whatever, uh, posthumously. He, uh, they did a, an anthology, and then PBS did this big, long, like, rock and roll history thing. Every night was an hour, two hours, maybe more, of different stuff like I'll never forget one was called Blues and Technicolor or the Bob Dylan one was the Shakespeare in the Alley and they had all these people and I just sat there and learned everything I need to learn about music rock and roll jazz blues all of it and then I digested that and started writing new material and that's where Harmony came from was me writing songs being very inspired and I also was listening to early David Bowie like the David Bowie with the frock the man who sold the world era, David Bowie, uh -huh. with the guitar and the flappy hair 
and that whole thing and the Andy Warhol song and all that. So that just lent me to writing on my acoustic first. And then, you know, I used to say, if it sounds good on the acoustic, you'll sound great on electric. And um, yeah, so when we were doing all of that, you know, that era or whatever, that's what, when I started to come into my own more as a songwriter, and then we ended up at another house, his parents moved and it's to a new house. We built a new house on that land. And then we built a studio into that bedroom. And that's where we finished the rest of harmony as far as like practice wise. But yeah, when we were doing all of that, it's just that it, it was just weird because that already, I was already moving away there too. Like I just, Steve stopped growing and I was like, oh no, he's going to do that where they start getting frustrated because, you know, the internet, just, my friend had just taught me how to use the internet. So I was like real new to it. It's the year 2000, Y2K. And I kept telling Steve, no, I think if we just, you know, persist, we're going to be able to get a hold of people easier. I know it. And he just didn't trust me. And we can now. So I guess I was right <laughs> because my friend was up 15 years old. And his father worked for Boeing. He, he's an engineer. And mm -hmm. my friend has a has an IQ of I don't know how high. But he could build computers. And he knew. His dad had built his own, his computer for him. And he's like, you need to learn how to use this because it's going to be a tool that you're going you're gonna to want to know. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad he did. Because uh, I don't know what I'd do without it. I mean, you see how active I am in this shit. Like, I just... I can't be without it because it's just, it's how I get everything. Oh, and then with the Moribund Records, I wanted to say, because that reminds me, I just signed up for TuneCore this week, and I, now I will be streaming uh, June 16th, Lori Bravo, Bare Bones will be streaming on all 40 major platforms, including YouTube Music and Amazon Music, iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, you name it. Right on. Excellent. So yeah, I finally, I finally, yeah, I finally did it. It was, I was like, you know what? I, I went and I did a bunch of research. I watched a bunch of geeky videos with all these young kids that know more, much more about stuff like that than I do. Wrote them and as you asked them and found TuneCore to be the most affordable. It's only, it was only like 40 bucks for the whole year. And they, they put it out there. You get your revenue. You get to keep 100% your royalties. And uh, yeah, I just, the only reason I didn't want to put it out right away on the streaming platforms is because I wanted, I was hoping people would buy it because I need the money. Mm -hmm. So I was like, but I noticed my, it's really weird how old school my fans are anyway, because guess what? They were all, when's the CD coming out? And I said, are you kidding me? Because I want, I do want to put CDs out, but I yeah. didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. <laughs> I want a vinyl. But they, like, <laughs> but they were like, I thought they'd be digitally downloading and what, oh no, mm -mm. even the young 21, 23, 24 year old people that like, like my new music or like nuclear death and want to, my, they're like, Oh, well let me know when your CD comes out. And I'm thinking, <laughs> really? I thought, well, that's good. Cause I, I was planning on it. I also want to put it out on vinyl. So I, I'm planning on it. I just wasn't doing it yet because I don't have the capital to do it yet. And, uh, I just moved. I mean, I thought I just put this out. I mean, I barely got this out. It's the, Oh my God. It just, it's been done. I actually sat on it, which is really weird, Quentin, because I've never sat on music in my life, but I had to. I thought, I am not letting this move overshadow that record. I went right. through way too much. There, that record is just a... That record was the worst thing to make and the best thing I ever did, but it is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I've done some pretty hard shit in my life, but I'll tell you what, this is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, uh, technically speaking, but just definitely emotionally speaking. It just... You can even see it like in, if you look at like the videos of my first couple recordings in YouTube where I'm 
there's videos. Of course, I recorded everything and I recorded all the footage and put it up, the raw footage uh, on my YouTube constantly. So I, I, I like showing, yes, I can sing. I don't need to do it with a bunch of effects to, to show you what it's going to sound. I didn't want anyone to know what it was really going to sound like. And uh, I, so I did lots of raw vocals like that. And by the end of it, you can see when I, I'm doing Diamond Heart and I say, here's a little snippet, uh, sneak listen of my last, I mean, I sound like I'm about ready to pass the fuck out. And I mean, it had been two years, but you, you know, and aside from losing all that weight from the silent reflux shit, it's like, I look physically exhausted. It, it almost put me in my grave. I'm not kidding. Mm. I was just, it was so, oh, it was just, it was so hard to get those emotions to finally just be able to get that all out and all that grief and then all of those people dying last year and my family and my my four cats and Duder, my dog and you know because I mean coronavirus really didn't touch us honestly aside from when we'd leave the house because I could still walk around and I was mm -hmm. stuck in the house because it's Arizona and when it's hot and it's in the middle of summer you are stuck in the house and I don't really care to I didn't care about going out and seeing my friends because I hardly ever saw them anyway and they would just be bumming out that they weren't at a bar and I had shit to do so right. I wasn't really that worried about that that it wasn't like that it's not that didn't really affect me as it, it I was going to be stuck in the house anyway but yeah just everybody suddenly getting sick right away that's what really did it it just really you know I almost couldn't finish it because I was emotionally like emotionally and physically exhausted and then the silent reflux with the eight the eight months of not being able to sing and not being able to finish recording the last damn song and you know that that happening and almost choking to death and all that just all these weird things that happened and you know and then uh, we're moving then the other thing is we are we were in the midst of actually moving so it was like knowing that we are moving to new orleans and that it is going to happen we just have to find our house so and trying to fit all that in. So that's why I sat on it. I thought, no. And then I thought, I'm going to put it out on my birthday. Because that, to me, it is a new beginning. Mm -hmm. It's like this is, you know, this is eight years coming. Two years to make, you know. But, I mean, Fry Park is ten years old, as you know. It's, fr it's something I found in my memories on Facebook. And I thought, oh, yeah, I forgot about that song. I'm going to record it. That's a good one. So I thought, I'll do that one. I'll sing it in thirds. And Lane Staley came and visited me that day. I said, this is going to be my Alice in Chains song. Because I was listening to a lot of Alice in Chains when I wrote mm -hmm. it. So I thought, why not? You know, and whatever. But the way, the weird thing about that record to know is that it is exactly the sequence I recorded it in. I did not change it. So you're getting the very first song to the very last song is exactly the sequence I recorded it in. And the other thing to know with this record that might be interesting to know is that you can hear, at least to me, you can hear the difference as you continue. It sounds great, I'm not going to lie. But if you keep going through, you'll notice it gets better and better quality recording because I was getting better at recording because I had to reteach myself everything, dude. I, right. I hadn't used record. I used all GarageBand and I had not used that in eight years. I, it had changed quite a bit, but somewhat the same, but not. And then I, there were things I couldn't remember, like, wait a minute. Well, yeah, that's right. This input has to do this. Oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot. I hadn't used my interface in years. I had to remember how to plug it in practically. So I had to do that first. And then I got a big girl mic 
from a friend of mine who is selling his good studio mic, an, a, a, like a thousand dollar mic for like two hundred fifty to me because I'm his dear friend. Thank mm. you, thank you, Craig. I think it was like eight fifty when he finally got it. But anyway, one really, he's like, no matter what, get yourself a good vocal mic. Do that. Do that. If you buy nothing else, get that. You know, and and I have good quality, you know, instruments, whatever. But that was his thing. I said, well, of course, because the vocals. I, that's what I wanted to showcase. But yeah, when I went in there and did that, I didn't know what I was doing at all. I was having all kinds of technical problems because I just had been so long. The the interface I used, which is a PreSonus audio box, wasn't speaking to my garage band. I found out I had to go on a forum and download a bunch of what they're called drivers. I mean, all these things, I don't even know what the fuck. But luckily, luckily, I, I was able to get it going as soon as I got it going. But like I said, as you go along, it gets better and better and better. And it just seems to have that way because it's not like it doesn't sound good at the beginning. It's not, that that's not it at all. It just it just it sort of grows because I did, and it took again two two years to to record this. So there's these gaps where there's no recording being done for long periods of time. And then I would the idea was to go upstairs. I would try to do this every Saturday. Go upstairs, record the song, come down, finish. That was the goal. When mm -hmm. I didn't do that, I'd be angry or anxiety ridden and I would feel like a piece of shit and like I don't deserve anything. So then that would be the day that, you know, I would feel bad because I didn't come down with a finished product. But the idea was to try to do that. And then there'd be a couple weeks in between where I just wouldn't be able to handle it or somebody else would be sick and I'd have to be dealing with a sick kitty and then that trumps everything, of course. Then, there, then something would happen, whatever, and then I'd be back, okay, now next Saturday, you know, but that's kind of how I had to do it. I mean, since I live there, I'm self-motivated, but I had to make it where I have to go in there like a job. Like you walk in that door, you shut your door, and that's the studio, and now it's you go in there and you do your job. Mm -hmm. You don't just, you know, it wasn't like relaxed at all. The sessions weren't relaxed. You're very anxiety-inducing, and, you know, but um, by Diamond Heart they were because there's no music. So I was like, yay, I don't have to play something and try to make sure it doesn't sound off, you know, because I didn't use drums, as you know, so... Um, I had to make sure I was, you know, I didn't play to a click track or anything. This was just my internal. I did actually try to play to, to a click track, though. I will say that. I tried. I tried a couple times, and it never worked. I just, my internal rhythm just didn't allow it. So I finally said, fuck this. I'm just going to, whatever. If it's, you know, try to do it as proper as I can. I know Where's My Lover was horrific trying to keep that steadiness going without a drummer. But I did manage to do it, I'm pretty sure. So, uh, you know, and I do have a good sense of rhythm to know if it's really off, but it was one of those things Or I go in there and be too anxious and play like, man, you should have heard an odd pain the first time. It was played so fast. I was like, wait, no, no, no. I was so anxious. My hands were shaking and I had to go in my ROM's room and calm down and relax for a minute and then go back in. Okay. Now, now, you know, I can play it. Your, your heart rate's down. You're good. Your hands stop sweating. You know, and I'm doing this on my own. There's nobody there to judge me. I, it was me judging myself. I mean, I'm my worst critic. Mm -hmm. It's like standing. It's like I could literally see myself standing there shaking my head going, no, that's just not going to fucking fly. Like I would do with my own band. Like if I'm with my band and where it's not going to fly, I'm going to say that. But I felt like I was standing there saying to me, no, Lori, it's way too fast, you know. And so, you know, that kind of stuff, just te teaching myself to slow down because, you know, I'm, that's something I learned from uh, 
from producers, producers and engineers in the 70s, I learned uh, one of the things that they would do a lot of they did this a lot with Chicago, very progressive bands like Chicago. Yes, they had a lot of studio instrumentation and things of that nature. The Doobie Brothers, too, was Mm -hmm. that they play the song slower than they think they're supposed to. They'd be like, we're slowing you way down than you think. Uh, they did this with Blackwater, with Doobie Brothers, especially as one of the ones I remember. And uh, Roundabout, with Yes, that was another one where... Now, Roundabout's very jumpy, as you know. You know, it's a very fast song. Mm-hmm. But it's played slower than they would play live because the ear can only take... In that time frame and with that kind of tonality, the ear can only take a certain tempo and it just works better when you're hearing it on a radio, on the radio. And then if Yes wants to play Roundabout 10 times faster live go for it because then lots of people play things faster live because their adrenaline's going they're probably coked up or they're not but you know what i mean especially that era in the 80s as well you know but if you listen like if you listen to a motley crew album and you hear the motley crew songs and then you go listen to them live which i've seen them live many times they do no we know they were coked up but i mean you play faster anyway (laughs) you just do Right. Well, I've seen Rush do that, and they're masters. And Rush played when I went and saw Rush play live for their uh, for the um, oh, what was it tour? What's the name? What's the album? Why can't I think of it? That has Limelight on it and Tom Sawyer. Oh, Moving Pictures. Thank you. Hello. Anyway, Moving Pictures went inside. <laughs> I don't know. I can't fucking think of it. Um, but anyway, when I saw them, I was blown away because I'm young. Then I'm in high school, and I'm like, wow, this is way faster than the album. I mean, they were just flying. And I was like, and I don't think they were even ever drug people. I just, they were just flying because, mm. you know, they're crazy Canadians and they're happy. Hey. And uh, they're awesome. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> they're awesome. But you know what I mean? Like, I would see the people play live. And so I, I remembered that when I went into Bare Bones, because I do tend to play things faster because of my anxiety, na- anxious nature. And I try to slow it. And, you know, here, that seems to, my brother did some promo shots for me today. Oh, I can't wait to show you guys. How great they are, how cool they are. Oh, they're my first promo shots for my new surroundings, my new record, and me with my new look, my new image with my hat and everything. And um, he had me motion. He had me in motion. I'm thinking he's going to sit me down and I'm going to do what I do. And then he's like, well, if if I was going to have you sit there, you could have shot them yourself. He's like, no, 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 no. And I thought, well, that's good. So he had me play. He's like, you're going to play and I'm going to shoot you. And so I played for him for a couple hours. I just, whatever songs I play on, you know, I played on all four guitars that I have mm-hmm. and he shot me and it was perfect because he put me in motion and that's actually what I'm like. I'm a person very, you know, doesn't sit still and it, it, it lent itself perfectly. And I thought that was so cool that he did that because I wouldn't have thought to do that. I just was thinking promo shots, you know, I'm sending to some radio stations here in New Orleans, WTUL and WWOZ, which are fantastic stations, by the way. And, you know, uh, any other that are out there, that, uh, whatever. So, but I wanted to have like actual hard copy where I'm sending them, a, you know, like a, a burned CD and a, a, a eight by 10 glossy, as you say, and you know, the bio. And, uh, I wanted him to do it, but it was interesting to do that because I am one of those people that tends to be like, uh, so, uh, he got that. He, he, he caught that. But I also noticed that living in the big easy, I'm learning more and more, especially with people I'm meeting. Like I, I, I met this fellow, this fellow musician, he's an artist. He's an artist rapper. His name's Alfred Banks. He's an amazing, uh, uh, rapper, um, from New Orleans here. And he, a hip hop artist. And he's like, he told me straight up, he's like, we don't rush here. We hustle. Mm-hmm. 
and he wanted me to know the difference. And that was so cool because I told him, I said, I'm anxiously a person that just constantly is, feels like I'm in a rush. And he said, don't, you don't rush here. You hustle though. It's like, but mm -hmm. you don't have to rush. And I I've gotten it. that yeah. now. I get it now where, you know, like I can <clears> see it in the photos that my brother shot at me where I'm, a, even when I was playing, I noticed I was playing calmer. I thought, wow, I'm not like doing that usual where I'm like, ah, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, cause I mean, I'm supposed to be getting ready to play these songs live pretty soon here. And I was, that was giving me horrible anxiety. I would wake up like with my heart pounding out of my chest at like three in the, well, whatever, I should say more like 10 in the morning. And um, <laughs> I'd be thinking, what if I probably don't even know these songs anymore. I haven't played them because I haven't played them since I recorded. I haven't touched the guitar since we moved. I mean, I just, mm -hmm. I just have, I sing all the time. That's just because duh, I can open my mouth and do it. But I hadn't touched them. I, I touched them once and that was to dust them tune them and, and I have two hanging on my wall and two on the floor because that's how my studio is set up now and uh, that's it so I thought what if I don't have to play anymore you know what you know just things like stupid things like you mm -hmm. know when, when you have a test and you think you'll dream that you're naked at class or whatever that's the same thing it was like I'm sitting there going what if I can't remember my songs whatever and I thought you're going crazy like you know you know and even if I don't remember who the hell's gonna know I can make up lyrics how would they know they don't know them these right. people are going to be, my, my brother's like, you're going to be playing for drunk people all over New Orleans. <laughs> right. They're not going to know. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and plus, you're good at making stuff up on the spot. So I really wouldn't worry about it. You know, and then I also got myself a, uh, I did want to see some of my, the song, What Did the Beautiful People Eat? As you know, that has about 15,000 different variations of lyrics. And it's very time consuming to remember them all the way that they were actually done when I did them because I actually sat there and read them off the pay paper when I did it in the studio because I couldn't even remember them all. And um, I thought that was one of those. And I thought, I'm just going to get myself. I noticed musicians around here have no problem having portable music stands and having their book right up there. Apparently, that's not frowned upon at all here. They don't care. Everybody here is so supportive. I'll tell you that, too. Here, really, I'm not, I, it's exactly what I thought. Everybody's respectful. You say you're a musician, that is awesome. You're an artist, cool. Nobody rolls their eyes. They don't look like, well, nothing. It's like they immediately want to be like, oh, you should play blah, blah. I mean, I've mm. never had, I've never, I've never been around people like that where they, they're so like open. Like the, like the, the, the Alfred Banks guy, the rapper, I mean, he's, he's an artist that's been in Volkswagen commercials. This dude's big. And he was like totally, friendly and hey i'll introduce you to this guy that that does gossip gossip it's a place here it's a venue it's a real cool place and uh so you can play there he doesn't even know what i play it doesn't even matter it was like well, he doesn't even know if i'm good and it doesn't matter and i thought that's so cool because it's just such an openness of me everything here is music and i i thought it was but i it was i what if i was wrong well i'm not but what if i was you know my brother's mm -hmm. like no every even the even your bus pass is called a jazzy pass. Oh, Everything right here is music, <laughs> you know, and it is workplace jazz. So, but I'm just saying, no matter what kind of music you play here, you can talk to anybody here. Like I'll get on Instagram with people and or or even Facebook that are live here that are other musicians I've seen like or I've heard on the radio or locals, and they're there to tell you. Oh, yeah, you know what? You ought to check out the yard. They have all kinds of places. You know, you can play during the afternoon there. They have afternoon blah. I mean, nobody, I've never seen that. Never have I had that kind of experience where it's that supportive of a system of music where you don't have someone rolling their eyes or, well, everybody right. plays guitar. Or everybody right. has a fender plays guitar. <laughs> you know, that kind of attitude or, 
or or, or clicks where it's like, well, the metal crowd, and because they do have crowds, but the hip hop community's been really kind to me, and they've not heard me. Well, okay, Alfred finally did listen to my my. He called it my project. He's in rap and hip hop. It's called a project, usually not an album. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and he he he, and then he chooses the weirdest song. It was so funny. I thought I thought he probably I don't know what I thought he'd like, but he was like he's like that devil I allow is so cool. I thought what? Because I thought that's a weird one to me. It's one of those where I feel like I'm. I wonder if people are going to think. I didn't care if people thought I was a Satanist, but I, I wondered if they were getting what I was saying. Do they get that I'm talking to the devil? Is it even me? Is that even me doing it? Or am I just observing someone doing? You know, whatever. But um, I thought those opening Satan, I'm so lonely. Is well, how's that going to go over with you know my, my next door neighbors? So, uh, but they got it. So that was cool. But yeah, it's it's one of those where there's certain you know aspects where i thought are they going to get the idea of the blue the whole blues and the crossroads again and that whole thing i'm obsessed with with you know the, the devil and all that stuff is that going to flow or are they going to think i'm just a big huge satanist which is be fine if i was but i'm right. not i'm, I'm, right. just, I'm spiritual you. but i'm not i don't yeah i don't identify because then that would mean you worship something and i don't i worship music and cats so you know there you be go. my god <laughs> the, the gods of music and cats crazy. The crazy cat lady, right on. Exactly. Right that's on. you know. I, I guess that's what I'm saying, though. It's just that kind of thing where. But here, I feel like I don't. That's I don't. I don't usually like to explain my music anyway. But for my 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 next door neighbor, she's 70. I'm the one I used to have, the one that that's in Arizona, and her mm. daughter, who's in her 40s, who's a dear friend of mine, just moved in with her. So she's living with her mom, just like I live with my mom. And I, I love her mother, Pam. I've known Pam for years. I used to watch their house, and I was afraid they went and bought my record. And I thought, oh. And I said, okay, just know that when you, you know, that that when you're listening to some of these things, you know, I just was kind of worried that she might think, wow, I didn't know Lori was like that. But she said, it was so funny. She, when she did tell me that she heard the album, she's like, it's great. And then she said, honestly, Lori, she's like, I heard a lot of this, you know, she's like, you're loud. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's right. Because my window, you know, the, the, my studio window overlooks their backyard. So not that they would hear me through, but yeah, I am loud. So if I'm over singing full volume, as you know, it is loud. So she's right she's like, I probably heard this stuff anyway. And she was just like, all <laughs> I, I was so happy though because I thought, what if what if they don't love me anymore? They'll be like, God, Lori's a weirdo. I didn't know she's a weirdo. weird is good. Like, what's wrong with this suicide of fentanyl thing? What's she talking about? Yeah, because that one too, I was like, kind of worried. Like, does she understand it's a political song? You know, that's the, that that's my activist song. God damn it, you know. I was, everything I could ever be angry about and then some in that song and um, mm-hmm. you know and I wrote that mostly in the studio like I said the rest of it was just me going off like on anything that I had read in the paper or heard on the news that year I was just like I just put it in there and I thought you know just go for it and go crazy or whatever and then see what happens like throw it up in the air and see what happens when it lands <laughs> for know? sure for sure loud loud is good loud is good weird is good and maybe exactly. we're gonna let's kind of drop a loud and weird track yes, loud and weird is good yeah let's drop one of those songs um since we were talking a bit autopsy let's go back to around the same time i discovered nu- nuclear death and i discovered autopsy with the severed survival record oh yes that's one of the best it's right. just yeah great For cover sure. great cover it definitely is this is All autopsy are, that's a good one yeah for sure for sure this is autopsy with charred remains oh yes it's a classic 
Okay, I will always equate nuclear death with the band Empatigo. Because when I first discovered nuclear death and I first ordered Bride of Insect, it was that the same order, the same time <laughs> that I ordered, um, and in that same package, I ordered Empatigo's debut record, Altimo Mondo Cannibal. So I'm just always will equate you with those great guys from that band. And of course, our longtime listeners on this show will know my love of that band. So, yeah, yeah, I always kind of like to um, throw a song out there with some sort of connection. I imagine you've, you've Absolutely. you're connected with them Absolutely. I mean, that's too. funny that they, you piggybacked us with them. That's, that's really a cool thing to know <laughs> that we actually shared a package to your doorstep. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With the great and mighty Epitago. Yeah, that's yeah. That's shit. I haven't yeah, had them cool. on yet, but they are a bucket list band. Absolutely. You gotta. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. Before we get on out of here, I do want to quickly mention this. Aaron sent me an email the other day and said, hey, when you go on, you have to mention this from Bandcamp. Okay. This this Friday, or next Friday, as if you are listening to this, 
um, is June 18th. Yay, Juneteenth, people. <clears throat> Juneteenth, yes, represent, yes, yes. Represent. yep. Well, with that, with that, Bandcamp has made this a little announcement for one of the things that we are doing. Okay, they're saying next Friday, June 18th, stand with Bandcamp to support racial justice, equality, Absolutely. and change. Okay, what they're doing is next Friday, June 18th, from midnight to midnight Pacific time, we'll hold our second annual Juneteenth fundraiser, where we will donate 100% of our share of sales to the NACP Legal Defense Fund yeah. to support their ongoing efforts to promote racial justice through litigation, advocacy, and public education. We held our first Juneteenth fundraiser last year in response to the murders, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna yes. Taylor. Here, here. And the longstanding structural oppression, state-sanctioned violence, and the daily racism faced by black people and people of color, including many of our fellow employees and artists in the Bandcamp community. We've been inspired by and joined in the growth, the call for racial injustice and inequality and have celebrated the many new reforms, practices and policies that bring us closer to a world where black people and people of color can thrive without fear of violence and oppression. At the same time, we are nowhere near where we need to be and there is much to be done. Basically, what they're saying is on that day... On June 18th, all of the profits from Bandcamp will be going to towards this. The annual fundraiser is part of our larger ongoing commitment to racial equality and will continue to promote diversity and opportunity through our mission to support artists, the products we develop, and those we promote through the Bandcamp Daily and Bandcamp Radio, how we work together as a team who and how we hire and our relationships with organizations local to our Oakland space, some of which we've already highlighted below. We hope we will spread the word about the upcoming friend raiser and thank you for being part of the Bandcamp community. That is from Ethan Diamond, CEO and co-founder of Bandcamp. So, so happy to be part of Bandcamp, I'll tell you what. Oh, for sure, for sure. So when you go to buy a copy of Bare Bones, be sure to do it on Juneteenth. Juneteenth. For yes. sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Holla, Juneteenth. Right on, right on. Yeah, yeah. Fully endorsed by Miss Bravo. Absolutely. As absolutely. a woman of color, mixed race, Absolutely. Right on, right on. Well, thank you so much you. for uh, hanging out with me tonight, this week. I really appreciate fun. it. Yeah. Right on, right on. And I'm glad that um, I, I'm really stoked. I'm really stoked. And I'm not just saying this because I've got you on the line. I'm really mm -hmm. stoked that I can call you friend. We Absolutely uh, meet the same brother. Honestly, it is so <laughs> I thank you like I said, thank you for being my first interview for my new album because I really I worked really hard on it and I just it's nice to know that it's that you know that you that you you listen
listened to it and that, that you know that you wanted to talk to me about it because it's 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 a definite it, it, it's you know yeah it's it's everything to me <laughs> right, on. right on well i'm glad that we are all are all over it to get on out of here though we got to bring this crazy train into the station let's go out on a Ooh. new track from a grave ripper their new oh. record yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> I boy. love that. Okay, okay, <laughs> me too. I, I want to be ripping graves. That just that, that already just makes my skin go yeah. Right on, right on. Their new record, "Radiated Remains," is available now from the good folks at Wise Blood Records. What's Let's... wrong with these people? That's crazy sounding. I love it. "Radiated Remains." That just sounds completely toxic. I knew I you'd it. love it. I do. Yeah, love that's, it. that's a really yeah. I, I can see this in my head and it's just not a pretty sight right on, right on. let's go out with the track adam's divide um to get a hold of us www.radioactivemetal.org we are available thursday nights the first time you're hearing this on pure rock radio purerockradio.net check us out there and of course, um, we are proud members of the Shining Wizards Network, shiningwizardsnetwork.com. It's predominantly a, um, a pro wrestling um, website and network, but they cover all sorts of things, including this show, some, some, uh, some pop culture, and all sorts of things kind of your one-stop shopping for all of your podcasting needs check us out there and because we are involved with the shining wizards network they threw us up on spotify as well so you got your spotify (laughs) go go and always good and check us out there once again miss bravo thank you so much thank you so much i was was badass and thanks for interviewing my mama okay yes yes we'll be getting into that a little (laughs) bit later Um, yeah in the meantime and in between time that's it. This has been a bear to the bone episode of oh, Reactive yeah. Metal. Stripped. I'm Snowy White, and you are. I'm Lori Bravo. Signing <laughs> off. <laughs> cool.
Die.